Good morning, listeners. You're welcome to this week's Ag Report. I'm Jim Finn. My guests this week are the Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Charlie McConnellogue, Philip O'Connor from IFAC on their annual survey, John Bergen from Chagas, and my final guest this morning will be Baden Pohl, who is the chairperson of the IFA in North Tipperary. My first guest this morning is the Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Charlie McConnell-Hook, TD. Good morning, Minister, and thanks very much for joining us. Good morning, Jim, and good to be with you, thanks. Okay, now, Minister, I'm quite sure you have quite a lot to tell the farmers, so the stage is yours. Oh, well, thanks, Jim. Good, good to join you. So, so I suppose, listen, uh, main thing is that we wish farmers well for the year ahead. Uh, it was a very challenging year last year, particularly with weather and indeed uh, with, with prices, uh, dairy prices being, being reduced and, and also a really difficult year for tillage in particular. Hopefully the, the weather will play um, a bit more fortuitous this year, but certainly from, from a government point of view, it's been my focus and all of the government's focus to work to support farm families over the course of the year ahead in terms of the various schemes that we have in place. Um, last year was the first year of the new Common Agricultural Policy Schemes and uh, the, the government committed an extra 50% to those schemes um, in order to make them as strong as possible and to improve farm income. And also last year, at the end of last year, saw the establishment as well of a new food regulator office uh, with a new food, food re- regulator, Niamh Lennon, in place and the new, the new board under the uh, chairmanship of former IFA president, um, Joe Healy. And that's really important of, of office now from the point of view of making sure that there's transparency in the food supply chain. And I suppose looking forward to the year ahead, um, my, key, my key focus over this year is to provide the time and space to really focus on the tremendous work that farm families are doing and to focus on the farming. Um, we've had a lot of policy development the last two or three years, and, and, and rightly so. Um, we've we've uh, finalised uh, Food Vision 2030, which is our f- strategy for agriculture and food out to 2030. We've also finalised the new Common Agriculture Policy, which started last year and will run into 2027. And I would have travelled the country and visited March in each county in the country in order to make sure that that was as fair and as balanced and as strong as possible. And also then we had the Climate Action Plan, which has set a 25% target for agriculture up to 2030. So with those plans in place now, this year really needs to be about allowing farmers the time and space to get on with the massively important work they do in terms of food production. Um, and uh, and indeed as well to, provide the re- to ensure that there's rec- more recognition and respect for the importance of that food production work that farmers take and farmers do every single day. Um, because that work in terms of producing food is going to be even more important in the years ahead than it is now, given the growing uh, world population that we have and our importance as a good food producing nation and a, a country that's blessed with our natural resources in that regard to continue to do that work. And also to allow farmers the time and space as well to continue the great work they're doing in terms of uh, sustainability at farm level and making uh, even further improvements to the wonderful uh, farm model um, that we have. Mm-hmm. And OK, Minister, and I know now that you are going to have to deal with two new, three new uh, farm leaders. You know, all the farming organisations have changed uh, the guard uh, in the past few months. So, again, you'll be dealing with different people. So it will be another slightly different challenge, I expect. Yeah, and I I, I wish all of the, the, those well. Um, uh, Francie Gorman is... is 
president of AFA alongside a new vice president, Alice Doyle, and, and then uh, Dennis Drennan is the new president of ICMSA, and uh, Sean McNamara taking over from Dermot Kelleher as president of the uh, of the ICMSA, yeah. and of course Dennis Drennan taking over from uh, Pat McCormick, who did very sterling work in the I ICMSA. Um, so listen, I, I had a very productive work, relationship with the outgoing presidents, and um, look forward to working closely with the new the new presidents. Um, I have no doubt they will be, continue to um, ensure that my feet is kept to the fire to, to in terms of ensuring that the very best is being done for farm families, and that certainly is always my objective, and has been my objective in the three and a half years that I've been as minister. And um, uh, looking looking to the year ahead now, it'll be about supporting our various sectors um, and uh, making sure farm incomes are central to everything. That we do and that we support farm families very well in, in the work that they're doing and i'm quite sure you will get on very well with uh, the changes that have taken place at the top of the farming organizations but there is another change that's going to take place has to take place uh, during the coming year and that is we're going to have european elections so there will be a change in the european parliament yeah, there will, be, there will be important elections there. And, you know, it's going to be important as well that, and I've noted that, that uh, um, the importance of agriculture is very much considered in those elections um, because particularly in the agriculture space, Europe is, is very much central uh, to agriculture policy because uh, we have a common agricultural policy across Europe. And as an exporting country, um, being part of the EU as, as an agriculture, Agricultural exporting country being part of the EU is massively important to us because the vast majority of the food that that is produced on our family farms um, is is exported to the EU actually. So that common market and with that you know the common policies that that, that are the same across the various uh, EU member states that we export to is massively important to us in our country and it's therefore really important that we have representatives at the EU level who have farming and farm families at their heart. And I, I know that's something that, that you know, uh, expect that voters will have to their, to very much in their mind when it comes to, to the European elections as well. OK, at the end of the month, and we're nearly at it at the moment, Minister, there's going to be, I, I suppose, new changes when we're exporting into our biggest market, really, uh, the UK. Are we ready for that, Minister? We have made all the possible mm -hmm. preparations we can, Jim. Obviously, this is where the rubber hits the, the road now in relation to Brexit, because um, uh, in terms of their, immediately after Brexit, the, the, there was additional um, requirements on importers from uh, Britain into Ireland. Uh, but now the UK, who had delayed the uh, extra uh, checks and conditions uh, being applied to Irish exports, that will now happen from the 31st of January. So my department has been working with uh, food exporters in relation to preparing for that. I've no doubt there will be some teething problems, though, as that adjustment happens. We'll be available to want to support companies in relation to that transition. And it's really important in the next week or so, you know, that, that all companies put uh, and finalise their systems to be ready for that change on the 31st of January. And uh, last week you had a, a very important visitor uh, to the country from China, and you had a very good announcement to make uh, to Irish farmers with the opening of Irish beef into the Chinese market again. So I presume we're going to keep building our relationships with the East. Yeah, it's an important, really important market for us. And it was important we, we gained access quickly. Um, we've had access now to the Chinese market for beef since 2018. But this was the second occasion in which we had a temporary suspension 
And the, for the last time that there was a temporary suspension, it took two and a half years to regain access. And uh, this time, it, thankfully, it only took two and a half months. We have very strict testing regimes in this country for um, atypical BSE. Um, um, the strictest of any country anywhere, which means we uh, can we, we capture uh, and identify any such cases. And atypical BSC, which is very different from the BSC of the 80s and 90s, um, which was related to, to, to the feeding of bone meal, atypical ASC is something that can happen uh, randomly uh, as a degenerative disease in older animals. And we have a testing regime to make sure we catch them. Uh, but, but that means that you'll capture one of those cases on average every three or four years. Uh, because of the occurrence of it, uh, and maybe one in every 20 million animals or so. And uh, our Chinese um, health uh, certification protocol for beef was the only one of the 70 countries we export to who had a clause that in a case where that happens, it leads to the temporary suspension of the trade. But thankfully, we've, we've re restarted that market, uh, providing all of the assurance necessary there to the Chinese. And with the Chinese Prime Minister visiting last week, um, it was great news to get that confirmed that we have access once again. The Chinese middle class now um, uh, uh, is bigger than the European EU and USA uh, middle class uh, buying category, purchasing category of consumer put together. So that shows you the potential uh, importance of, of the market for beef in the years ahead. So it was really good. And we worked hard to get back in and I know our food companies now will work hard to, to build up that market um, in the years ahead and make sure that uh, that it, in the process, then it's it's, uh, it's resulting in the best possible price for for Irish beef farmers. Okay, one of the biggest challenges, Minister, facing uh, Irish agriculture has been uh, the environment, the emissions that agriculture has, and you have mentioned the twenty five percent target that's out there. Are you confident, uh, and is your department confident, that we will? meet and exceed that 25% target? Yes, I, be, I believe we can. And I think of all the sectors of the economy, farming is the sector that, you know, uh, is best placed to deliver on this target by 2030. First and foremost, I worked hard to make sure that we would get a target which we could deliver upon and which was realistic. Um, and that's been set at 25% uh, by 2030. And I think the farm representative organizations have indicated that they also believe we can deliver on that as long as we work together and, and provide the necessary supports on that journey. Um, last year, or in 2022, we saw a reduction in emissions of 1.5%. And, and whenever the 2023 um, re um, results are published, I'm very confident we'll see a, a larger increase again in, the, in, in emissions reduction. Um, and that shows the momentum and the work that's going on at farm level. Uh, we're seeing farmers really apply uh, and, uh, you know, uh, increase soil, you know, uh, tools to increase soil fertility, uh, to use more clover, use more multi-species sward, reduce chemical fertilizer, and also improve the efficiency of, of dairy and beef production, for example, and lamb production. Um, so there's massive work going on, and that is yielding results. And uh, as minister, I'll work with the sector um, uh, over the over the time ahead to continue that progress and to work towards delivering in that 25% um, reduction by 2030. Okay, one of the, uh, I suppose, perennial um, issues that arises every single year towards the end of the year, and that is uh, the slowing down or the, the not meeting the target dates for the payments for the various schemes that farmers have entered into. And I know there's a couple of them hanging out there at the moment. And farmers would be asking, how soon do you think that uh, these payments will 
number one, the ones that have are left to be paid out uh, are are paid. And will we ever reach a, a time when we meet all the target dates? Yeah, it, it is a really important um, function of the department uh, and of myself as minister to work to ensure the department is delivering as strongly as possible in relation to payments for farmers because uh, both the payments for schemes as well as the single farm payment mm -hmm. is an important part of farmer income. Um, last year was the first year of the new Common Agricultural Policy, which will run up to 2027. So all of the schemes and indeed the single farm payment structure had also changed. So the first year is always the most challenging. Um, Recognising that, I set out the best, I set out the time frame for the best possible delivery uh, that the department could do at the start of the year, back last March, and we wrote to all farmers indicating what the payment dates would be. Um, they were slightly adjusted from the previous year, given the additional challenges of it being the first year of a new cap. We delivered on 90% payment on those dates for, for, for all of those payments. So there was 90% delivery, which is very high for the first year of a new cap. And by the end of last year, then, the payment uh, rates for across the various single farm payment schemes and schemes was in the region of 96, 97, 98% of farmers having been paid. And some of those that are outstanding, there would have clearance issues and those have been worked through by the team. The one scheme which we uh, which we were disappointed that we weren't able to get paid um, by the, to all by the, or to that percentage by the end of last year was the new acre scheme. Um, and the reason for that was that I had accepted every single application uh, applicant who applied for acres last year into the scheme uh, it had been budgeted for 30,000 and indeed the capacity for 30,000 but I accepted all 46,000 in. We worked hard then to try and make sure that we would get the payments delivered by December but it just proved uh, a challenge which wasn't deliverable on but um, we'd paid 18,000 uh, of those uh, that were in the general scheme. Those in the cooperation scheme, though, will start payment from February and the, and the majority of those will be paid over the course of February. So listen, it comes back to us working and doing the best we can by farmers. I wanted all farmers to, that applied to be in acres last year. I also wanted, ideally, them all to be paid by December. Um, but as it turns out, uh, unfortunately, some won't be paid by until uh, well, during February. But listen, that's a hell of a lot better than, 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 than not receiving a payment and not being able to be in acres last year and missing out maybe on five and a half thousand euro of potential income. So we're working hard now to deliver on that. Uh, but it comes back to us doing the best we can to, 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 to support farmers. And I think farmers as well recognise that step that I took as minister last year to make sure they could all be included. And, um, you know, we're working now to make sure we get those payments out as quickly as we can uh, to them. OK, Minister, we're running out of time. Your one last uh, thing you would like to say to uh, the farmers of Ireland. Yeah, listen, um, I suppose my key message across government and, and I was at the EU Council last on, on uh, Monday as well. And this is the message yeah. I delivered at Europe that we need to provide more time and space. Uh, to farmers uh, or to, to respect and recognise the massively important work that farmers are doing in relation to food production. That's the number, thing, number one thing we ask of farmers is to produce that food and we need to respect how important that is and how increasingly important that's going to be in the years ahead and also the really important work that farmers are doing in relation to producing that sustainably and reducing as well you know the emissions footprint of how it's produced. Uh, but that needs to get respected and I want to ensure that, 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 that there's a focus on that over the course of the year ahead and that the plans we have put in place over the last two or three years are allowed the time uh, and space to be delivered upon. And then from a government point of view, I want to continue to roll out now the schemes and, and operate them efficiently. Last year, I delivered 200 euro a cow 
uh, and calf for the, and in the, for the suckler sector. Uh, that was the first time that was ever delivered. That'll be delivered again, 200 euro, which was a key manifesto commitment I had at the last election we've delivered upon. And then for the first time now this year as well, for example, for the sheep sector, we'll see a uh, 20 euro payment per yo, which is a doubling of the payment that was in place there. Also, we're putting a focus as well in relation to dairy beef and improving and supporting our dairy farmers on the beef side uh, and supporting dairy farmers in relation to uh, the, the uh, dairy production um, and the sustainability of that and, uh, and adding value to that. Um, and hopefully this year will will produce a better year in terms of prices for dairying, but right across the sector too. Obviously, that's not a part we control, but the parts that I can control um, and that we can work to support farm families on is my absolute commitment this year to continue to work uh, to do the very best to recognise and support um, farm family, the work of farm families, and to do all I can as minister, uh, working with my government colleagues. Um, to ensure that, that farm income and, far, and the profitability and the reward for the work farmers that farmers carry out, that, uh, that we do all we can to support that. Minister, I want to thank you ever so much for joining us this morning. That listeners was the Minister for Agriculture, Food and Marine, Charlie McConnellogue, TD. Thank you, Jim. Listeners, my next guest this morning is John Bergen, and John is an advisor with Chagas in the Thurless office. Good morning, John. Good morning, Jim. John, you are going to be talking about bull selection for dairy farmers for the coming season. Yeah, so Jim, um, the first thing I suppose farmers need to be reminded of is the new bandit system that came into play last year. So now dairy herds are kind of broken into three different bands and three different nitrate rates. So so farmers who would be aiming to be in that middle band or, or band two, which is Herds that would produce 4,500 kilos, 6,500. And um, if they want to stay in that middle band, it's essential that they pick bulls that are high in fat and, and protein percentages. Okay, so some targets there to look out for would be a figure of a, a bull that would um, would be plus 30 kilos of milk solids. Okay, mm-hmm. and, and that 30 kilos of milk solids would be coming from fat and protein percentage and not from volume because if they do end up um, breeding for too much volume in milk, it um, that will drive them into a higher band and also it could impact on fertility. So some of the targets there, as I say, would be plus 30 kilos of milk solids and maybe 0.30 for fat and and, two, and 0.20 for protein would be would be good targets. So that's the first thing I would look at would be the fat and protein percentage as that's now what dairy farmers are paid on. Mm-hmm. Secondly, another very important trait would be the fertility index. Um, but look... Um, a lot of those high EBI bulls and those bulls that I said there with fat and protein do tend to be high in fertility and, and would hit the target there of, of being plus 100 there in the fertility index. So the fertility one is another one to watch there. Another very important one going forward will be the health sub-index, um, Jim. Yeah. Because, um, because um, look, um, going forward, herds are going to be restricted with the amount of antibiotics they can use, especially with issues around AMR. Uh, farmers need to be looking at the, the health sub-index. So, a target there would be not to pick a bull that would be minus in the in the health sub index and ideally um bulls that are up around ten euro would be a good target there. And you're hoping then that that would bring cows in the future then that would the last last in the system and that they'd also have less issues with lameness and um cell count. And they've also added T B resistance into that index as well, which will be very important for some of your listeners in, in certain areas as well. And I suppose the last trait then is going to talk about would be the maintenance um it's called the maintenance index, and that would be a very good indicator of the size of the bull or of the cow that the farmer would want. So, if farmer, so look, a lot of farmers have, have a preference of what type of 
or size of how they would want, but um, just so they're aware of of what the figure means. If, if they see if they see zero, a zero um, maintenance bull, that would bring very large type cows, uh, cows around six hundred and forty or fifty kilos. Mm-hmm. So the kind of target there would be to pick um, a maintenance of around ten to twenty euro, and that would bring cows in that would be five fifty to six hundred kilos. So that's just something. There are some of the traits to watch for Jim. Um, High fat and protein percentage, good fertility, and keep an eye then on the, the health and the maintenance in this as well. John, you spoke there about the bulls. What should farmers be looking at from the cow's perspective? Yeah, so as you said there, um, I just spoke about the bulls, but, but um, the cows and the herd in are the other half of the story. And um, as a lot of your listeners maybe mightn't be expanding as much in the future with, with restrictions around nitrates or, or land or whatever, I suppose it's very important or critical to be really selective on the cows that they breed from in the future. So, first of all, I suppose they should be only breeding from their best milkers or cows that have done the best in um, the last couple of years, milk recording. Also, to only breeding from the cows with the best um, genetics as well, so the higher EBI type cows and heifers. And from their, probably at this stage, the February calvers as well, because and um, you want a good compact group of, of Frisian heifer calves. You don't want them at different ages so so it's very important to be very selective on the cows you pick going forward and then that allows you then to put high merit beef ei bulls in on on the remaining cows and um, bulls that would have a high cb cbv value okay so so once they've their, their bulls picked and their cows picked it's only a matter of then for those who are members of icbf and there's a very good facility on the icbf called sire advice that a lot of your, of your listeners will be using but just to make sure to remind them to use it um it's a very good facility that it will um once your bull is selected selected and you run it through the, the program, it will um it will do two things. First of all, it will prevent any inbreeding, so we'll make sure that, that the bulls you pick aren't related to any of the cows that you picked. And the second thing as well that will it will match the cows and bulls together. So for for example, if a cow is low in a particular trait, it would match it with a bull that would be stronger in a, in, in that trait. Okay. So mm-hmm. that's something um definitely to use. Um, fire advice as well if they have that facility Okay, something that has become very popular in recent years and that's sexed semen has become very popular, can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah, as you were saying there, look, it's become very popular the sales increased by more than 50% there in 2023 versus and in fairness the AI companies have really bought into it as well and um now the AI companies would have, would have brilliant selection in, in of sex bulls in, in their in their companies. Okay, so um, as well what we're hearing as well on the ground, commercial herds are getting on fairly well with it. I suppose there's, there's just a few things to remember as well if they haven't tried it before. So the first thing is to only breed from the most fertile animals they have in their herd. So that the most fertile animals that farmers would have would be their maiden heifers, provided that they're up to weight. And um, if some some of your listeners are thinking about trying cows this year. To make sure that you only try sex semen on the most fertile cows they have, and cows are calved at least six weeks and had no issues of calving. Um, something else as well that we're seeing at research level and on the farm as well is the timing of EI is very important for sex semen. Um, we seem to be better conception rates with sex semen if we delay EI um, slightly longer than we would have previously with conventional semen. So most farmers would probably go. Um, yeah, in 12 hours after the onset of heat with convectional, we found maybe going with 16 to 20 hours after the onset of heat is, is working better with, with sex semen. So that's just something to be mindful as well if, if you're using it this year. And just to maybe 
a farmer's chicken is trying it for the first time, maybe to talk to their, their neighbours or other members in this cush group uh, if they're in one and, and see what's working best for them because if it doesn't work out, it can um, can be quite expensive if it doesn't work out, okay? And, uh, and of course, it can throw back your calving dates if it didn't successful as well. And that has a financial impact uh, on uh, the bottom line as far as the farm's yeah. performance is concerned. Uh, look, yeah. at, if somebody wants to get more information uh, about uh, the bulls that they should be using, where can they go, uh, John? Yeah, so look, um, look, you can talk to your tax advisor if you want more um, to get bulls selected or if you have a private advisor. Um, the, the sales rep for the eye companies will also great information on, on certain bulls and and make sure as well to have a good look at the catalogues that have been sent out there. Myself, I actually like looking through the catalogue myself first um, because it gives good information on, on the, the bulls' dams, okay, and yeah. tells you exactly what the, the mothers of the bulls have done in terms of production and if, if they have good fat and protein percentages. So that's just something to, that they will pick up off the catalogues that they won't get off the, off the online. So once if the bulls picked in, it's only a matter of running through the sire advice and then ordering the bulls then in time to make sure you get the bulls you want Jim yeah okay well look at I want to thank you for joining us this morning John and uh, sharing that information and at least uh, we are, are giving the farmers of Tipperary that information early in the season so uh, they'll have plenty of time to look at the catalogues and read them and uh, select the bulls that they want that listeners was John Bergen from Chagas Listeners, my next guest this morning is Philip O'Connor, and uh, some of you know that Philip is with IFAC, and last week IFAC announced their usual annual uh, preview as to how uh, things went in 2023 and maybe with a forecast for 2024, and Philip is going to bring us through it. Good morning, Philip, and thanks for joining us. Good morning, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Now, Philip, what's the big takeaway from the report this year? Well, look, we, the, 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 it was a survey done with, 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 yeah. with a large number of farmers over a thousand, but done in the end of November into December. So it was kind of a snapshot in time of where farmers were thinking at that particular moment. And I suppose there was a couple of key stats that came out. Um, the first one, I suppose, was we asked about, and look, we're a financial services company, so we did ask about their finances. So we asked farmers where did they feel about what working capital or cash flow they'd have? Did they feel they have enough cash in the business to run the business for the next six months? And as anyone knows, whether you're a farmer or not a farmer, cash is what keeps everything going as regards the business circles. And one third of them said they didn't know. Now, I don't think there's a third of farmers out there by the stretch of imagination are going to go broke in the next six months. But what it did highlight, because we had a follow-up question, that is how many farmers are budgeting? And one in four said they weren't. So it wasn't a case of... Because they're not budgeting or looking at their business and planning their costs ahead and seeing well what potential costs are happening, what are the potential income, they're unsure about about their cash flow. And we take it into context of last year when the survey was asked at the back end of the year. We came through a bad year as regards milk price. Input prices are up. And when we spoke to our farmers, the biggest concern every farmer had was the rising input prices. Um, so we input prices high. We Output prices coming down, like the milk price in Port Chilich guys got an awful hammering last year in comparison. And the weather was poor. We changing caps. A lot of people's payments are back as well. So you could see, you could feel that 
that coming through in that statistics that people are a little unsure about where the where the franchise were on the farm at that particular moment in time. Like in IFAC, we're 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 strong in in promoting people looking at their finances and and projecting forward. And we can do it very simplistic as regards what's coming in, what's coming out. You start to kind of stress it a little bit. Then I would always be strong in that one as regards well. What if the the spring ran late? Do you have enough fodder? And if you don't have enough fodder, do you have the financial resources to buy the fodder? If 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 that scenario came to place, and then you can say, well, no, I have enough fodder. That's fine. Or no, my finances. I would. I don't have the money to buy fodder if it's spring running late. But then you you put something in place and sit down. Maybe you might have to extend your overdraft, extend your credit. But the point being is, you're planning the scenario if and when it if if it does happen, and therefore you have a course of action to take, rather than being reactive. If you know what I mean. Yeah. And that's where that stack comes into the, the the people are just unsure and. and with financial planning, when margins are tight, and we, mm-hmm. we've gone through a few, you've covered a good few times, Jim, in fairness, on the show. Yeah. There's a lot of ups and downs in farming the last couple of years during COVID and all sorts of things. And like, if we were sitting here two, three years ago, not in a million years would we, we dream fertilizer feed where they are, or milk price went to where it did, or tillage. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. been, there's been a lot of ups and downs. And when that happens, sometimes it can be the benefit, as in. Mm. Things can be positive financially, and sometimes it can be negative. If you know what I mean. I do, yeah. And that's, as you quite say, there's a lot of volatility. You you mentioned there that only uh, that a quarter of farmers don't do any budgeting. Would that be the same across the private sector? Hard to say. Like, if you know what I mean. I I, I was asked this actually by a couple of people, and it's it's, it's something I actually personally going to look into myself to see what 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 those stats are in financial management are in other sectors, and mm. I just don't have them to hand at the moment. But it would be interesting to see how that stats work, how, what that stat would be in the SME sector, which is so yeah. on the high street point, in other words. Yeah. Or, or any retailer in, you know, yeah. in any one of the towns in, here in Tipperary, you know, do they budget or do they not? Because we're all doing household budgets, even at, even at household level. We do. It is, a, it is an important skill, and, and, and yeah. I suppose it's something farmers... Like, like I mean, like I hate using the word of farming as a lifestyle because it's yeah. not. It's a business, and it is a lifestyle. But it, it is something that farmers. I. It's not an area that they'd like to do. If you know what I mean, like farmers like being out on the farm, working, doing their day-to-day job. If you know what I mean, or if they're part-time coming home, it's their it's their release from their, their maybe their full-time job. So going into the office and pulling out the old spreadsheets isn't something that really farmers get excited about if you know what I mean unfortunately unfortunately but there is plenty of uh, nice uh, software out there now that would get them through any budgeting that they want to do fairly fast it isn't like it was long ago Philip any any other stand out there the, um, the other one then that came into it then was we, we always ask a lot around succession so mm-hmm. no surprise here Jim this one that uh, a quarter of farmers put a viability to farmers our biggest concern to succession right. and again that, that comes back to, and it's the A-load thing, and we, we've said it many times, farmers being asset-rich in cash for, so you have this asset that's for, it's, it's very valuable in your terms, if you know what I mean. It's, mm-hmm. you've done, I know you've done it in the show, like, I mean, the, the Farmer's Journal Land Report, what's the average value of land, 10 grand an acre, whatever. So, mm-hmm. like, you, 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 you could have farmers, in, in theory, with an asset worth hundreds of thousands of euros, but the return on that asset is tiny, if you know what I mean. So, the, the, the struggle is, right, so I have... I want to hand it on to a son or daughter, and is there enough income for for one family, let alone two families? You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. viability is a question, and the attractiveness at the end of the day, 
farming is a business. It might be a small business or it could be a large business, but it is a business. It is there to return an income to the family in some form or another. For some farmers, it's a full-time income. For some farmers, it's a part-time income. But no, no one wants their farm to become a, a significant financial burden, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So the financial viability is still a huge issue with succession. You can see why, if you know what I mean, in that regard. In other words, to have somebody come home and run the farm, it, they do need to be able to get something from it. When it came then, I know this is a question that used to come up uh, in the past, and I'm quite sure you asked it again this year. How many farmers uh, in the survey had made a will? Yeah, only half of them. And if, if if people took one thing from this call, and I said last year and the year before, is while you might be unsure what you want to do with the land, the worst plan is no plan. So I would be very strong in that. At least put something down on paper, put something down on the will. Like in IFAC, we're strong at getting our clients to come in. And I think the most most important thing about succession is the communication. And mm-hmm. you'd be surprised. Like we we'd over half the people on the survey said they've identified a successor. An interesting question, follow-on question to that, and something you should ask next year is, have you told your successor they're a successor? You'd be surprised how many people would say to us, oh, yeah, I know what I want to do. And then you'd ask them, well, have you made a will, or have you spoke to your accountant, or have you spoke to your solicitor, or have you spoke to the person that you're planning to leave the farm to? And the answer is no to all those questions. To me, succession is something that should be planned over time. It should have lots of communication. It's like bringing your accountant in, your solicitor, your ag advisor. It doesn't all have to be done in a space of a week or a month, but it's an evolving process over a, over, a, over a period of time that you have an idea of where you want to get to. And that brings in areas around pensions and stuff like that. You talk about viability. Pensions, yeah. What about pensions? But like, I mean, that it, 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 it's a you, you, you see it when, when I've been doing succession plans with farmers, when, mm. when the, the next, the older generation have a level of other incomes coming in, it eases the financial burden and the person taking over. Do you know what I mean? That they're... Yeah that the farm is not there now to provide two families with income, if you know what I mean. I Full income, if you know what I mean. It just, I suppose, what's say it softens it. It makes it just that, that bit easier that there's more there's more there for everybody, if you know what I mean. Whether you, like, even, it's very hard. Like, I mean, and there's families, there's farms out there with three generations living there, if you know what I mean. So, yeah. there can be significant financial commitments on the, on the farm to a family and some, if somebody has a pension or another type of income coming in, it just makes that that bit easier, if you know what I mean. So I'd always be advocating people putting a pension and getting it started early, if you know what I mean. It's not that mm-hmm. you're advocating that you put thousands upon thousands in every year, but putting something into the pension every year. So when you do get to that age, that there's there's a pot there or there's something for you to put to, to have in your retirement. Or say, look, farmers don't ever retire. Probably a better way. There, there, there's additional money there when you step back a little bit from farming. Had you any question in it this year with regard to how farmers view everything that's been loaded on them with regard to the environment and environmental issues? We didn't go directly into yeah. a direct question on that. So okay. we, we asked the concern question. So the mm. biggest concern farmers had was the input price. What was an interesting stat uh, was we ask every year, do you plan to be farming in five years' time? Yeah. So every year we ask that, and the answers are yes, no, don't know. And there was a big shift over the last couple of years, and particularly from la- from 22 into 23, or last year's survey into mm. this year's survey, from the yeses to the don't knows. So consistently for the last five years, every time we ask that, the no answer is about 5 or 6%, which mm-hmm. accounts for retirements and other things. But there was a significant jump into the don't knows. And I definitely think that feeds into, at the particular time we are doing a survey, I say you had input prices, output prices, youth weather, 
yeah. the new cap. Mm. There was a lot of, and there still is uncertainty. So, so nearly a third of people said they didn't know if they'll be farming in five years' time. Do I feel? Do I think that a third of farmers will exit farm in five years? No. no. But what that stat is is saying to me is there's a level of uncertainty about farmers out there, and I do think it, it, it's it's something that mm-hmm. I suppose we all have to work on. Where farmers are going over the next couple of years, and where the sustainability measures that we all need to do and want to do are going to fit into the into how we work for the farm, because it has to work on the farm and it has to work for the environment. It, 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 it they won't happen if they work if they don't work for both. Okay, well, look, we're out of time. I want to thank you ever so much for sharing some of those highlights with us, Philip. That listener was Philip O'Connor from IFAC, talking about their annual survey. Listeners, my final guest this morning is Baden Pohl, who is the chairperson of the IFA in North Tipperary. And he's with me this morning to talk about their upcoming AGM. Good morning, Baden. Good morning, Jim. Okay, Um, you have an AGM coming up. Tell us about it. an AGM coming up, and it's short notice for your listeners, Jim. It's Monday night, 29th, in the Abbey Court Hotel in Nina. So it's it's, it's uh, good yeah. timing, um, Jim. Just to tell a little bit about it, yeah. It's uh, we have a guest. We have a guest speaker, Jim Ty Buckley, who is director of policy of chief director of policy in the IFA, and he's also chief economist. And I've been looking to get him down for a long time because at various meetings there's always a question, you know, is the leadership of IFA qualified to deal with all these complicated environmental issues that we have and everything like that. And um, Tide is a very clever uh, mm-hmm. fella and he's highly qualified and he, he has his finger on the pulse in all those areas. So, you know, people yeah. people sometimes think that someone just goes up the ladder, you know, as a farmer and how could he know enough? But there's plenty of brains at the top in, in Dublin. Yeah. Okay. And um, do you expect a good turnout? Um, I'd say, well, it's, it's our last chance. Men are getting yeah. busy, getting ready for calving, and uh, it was it was any more weeks. And we had a lot going on in the IFA mm. with the uh, elections, and um, saying farewell to Tim, who we were very proud of. So this was the best we could do, and I, I hope to get a good crowd. The tide would be covering issues like trying to hold the two twenty kilo nitrates, yeah, uh, balancing it with water quality. The future cut in stocking rates that a lot of farmers will be forced within the limits to use the training shoe and all the less equipment. And some farmers will find that very difficult with high ground, with the weight of the training shoe, etc., etc. But I'm delighted to get him down. Uh, he's yeah. very knowledgeable. I, I've been looking at him for some, some time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. okay, you mentioned Tim, and I know you had a bit of a shindig for him. Uh, how did that go? I wasn't able to make it. I was elsewhere. Yeah, it was a lovely evening. I'm mm-hmm. delighted for Tim that because uh, it, it it must be very hard to, to leave a position. And um, it was, as I said on the night, uh, this isn't a farewell of tears. This is a farewell of celebration because Tim did work very very hard. Um, he left no stone unturned. He was unlucky to have two years of COVID where mm-hmm. he had to do a lot through teams meetings and you know yeah. and and. Uh, and then he really made up for it when the, when the country opened up again. Um, and he, he achieved a lot, um, got a lot up and running within the ISA. Damien McDonald on the night gave a very uh, detailed but light-hearted resume of Tim's presidency. And um, that went down very, very well. 
But it was a great social occasion. There was a good lot of politicians there, which was great to see that they have the interest in what Danny Fay is doing. And um, it was a delight to see as many as there was there. Since then, we have a new president. Uh, Francie Gorman has hit the ground uh, running. Mm-hmm. He's hit the ground running, and um, he, he, he seems to be going down very well with the members and with even just general listenership. You know, he's doing a lot of interviews, and um, people are, are, are warming to him. But Francie is a very warm character, um, and uh, he's a very approachable man, very down-to-earth. I, I, I wish him well in his, his presidency, and I'd, I'd imagine it'll go very well. Yeah. And you have a very interesting vice president. Yes, we do. Or deputy president, first, yeah. Yeah, there's the first lady vice president, Alice Doyle, and she was over farm family, and she, um, she she's, she's, she's very good at how she uh, speaks and approaches things, and I, I, she, she will be... She will be doing, she'll be very busy behind Fancy, um, you know, and um, she, she is already, she's given a lot of interviews and she's very knowledgeable and her husband's a farmer. She, in her earlier, she was a school teacher. I'm not sure what she's a school principal, but she, she delivers the message very, very good, um, you know, but yeah. um, th- that's, th- there's a great, no, uh, there's a good, there's a good, we had a good, we had a good AGM in, in Dublin. Uh, we had the Taoiseach and, uh, various ministers there, but yeah. especially the Minister for Agriculture. And Francie did manage to keep the, <laughs> if you like to say, <laughs> the pressure on him for two and a half hours, and he did it very well without without offending him. Yeah, so it was... It was um, okay, it was uh, locally then, Baden, what are the issues amongst your members? Well, look, the dairy, the dairy farmers, they're, they're very, they're very uh, they feel they're disillusioned in that they feel they can't, they, not only can they not expand, but that, that they're going to have to cut their numbers seriously. And uh, they feel the smaller ones feel they're going to be mocked up. They're trying to keep the 220, which we protested in, in the arson and Jockey, mm-hmm. and, and I still go back to that. That was very successful. Uh, currently, there's protests all over Europe. Um, I don't know. I think something's going to have to change because I don't see water quality improving. And I'm not blaming any farmers. It's 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 uh, you know there's a lot of um, the, the water quality isn't improving in Ireland. There's no point fooling anyone, and I think it's going to be a big challenge to hold the 220. And maybe we have to look at things differently as to how we do it. Right. Okay. And the other farm enterprises. That's the dairy side of it. Is there any news with regard to compensation for? the tillage farmer who lost all their crops last year? Oh, uh, there is, Jim. So they are they are getting compensation. The other thing, uh, just of what I am up to speed with, is uh, IFA met uh, yesterday yeah. um, to, with the revenue. There's a lot of people in trouble with that, with, with claims, with the revenue. There seems to have been a, a change of thought up in the revenue offices, and um, IFA is after lobbying hard, but they actually met them this week, right? And just to change the attitude, there was, you know, there was all sorts of changes, and people were, you know, they were trying to finance uh, maybe bulk tanks and different things, and they were being crossed out, and the revenue got a lot tighter in what you could claim back to that on. 
Yeah, yeah, we heard that way. I think we covered it a couple of weeks ago. But look, at I'm out of time for this week. Uh, Baden, I want to thank you ever so much for coming on. And I want to wish you a very successful AGM on Monday night. And I presume that kicks off at the usual 8 o'clock? 8 o'clock, Jim, yeah. Okay. And, yeah, it'd yeah. be great to see a good crowd. Yeah. Okay, okay. And let's hope after having been aired this this morning, all the members will turn up on Monday night. That listeners was Baden Powell, who is the chairperson of the IFA in North Tipperary. That listeners is Agriport for this week. I hope you enjoy the show and that you'll join me at the same time next week. Coming up next is the news at ten o'clock and after that Eamon Dewar presents Down Your Way.